This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. Just a heads up, today's show contains talk of violence and sexual harassment and may not be suitable for all listeners. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Today, I want to talk about something that's really important and, frankly, something that isn't getting the kind of coverage that I think it deserves. After a two-week trial, rapper Tory Lanez has been found guilty of assault. In July 2020, he shot his former friend in the feet. Grammy winner Megan Thee Stallion. Since Megan went public with the allegations in August 2020, the backlash has been intense on social media and popular gossip blogs, but also from her peers in the hip-hop community. Some feel that her allegations are simply her trying to bring a Black man down. Others question whether she was shot at all, despite plenty of evidence showing that she most definitely was. And the comments haven't stopped there. We've seen the way that Black women who are involved in this case have been treated and vilified online, have been told to end their lives, been called out their name completely. And I think it has a ripple effect for regular Black women like you and me. That's Gabby Bulgarelli, my friend, colleague, and senior producer of NPR's Louder Than a Riot. Gabby's been on the ground in Los Angeles for the trial and was in the courtroom when Megan took the stand. But as the trials unfolded, so did the rumors, gossip, and fan theories. And Gabby has had a front row seat to the spread of misinformation on this case. Especially in an instance like this, where sometimes this trial feels like it was written by Shonda Rhimes. If you see something sensational, you're like, retweet, I believe it. And why not continue to send it around? Gabby and I unpacked the Tory Lanez assault trial how social media made its way into court, and how society expects Black women to be the perfect victims. We get into it after a quick break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how Black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Gabby, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a minute. 
Thank you for having me, Brittany. You know, this case has had so many intense moments. But Megan's testimony was especially notable. The stress of the situation becoming such a public discussion resulted in suicidal ideations for her. She's expressed so much about how going through this process and being subject to so much public discussion has affected her. Yeah, that rang true in her testimony. I mean, the prosecution even introduced screenshots of people bullying Megan on social media as evidence into the trial. And some of the things they said were, you know, I would have shot that too, that lied, who cares? She had sex with everybody, so she should have been shot. And these are things that they are flipping through and asking Megan to respond to and talk about how they've affected her life. Um, Talking about pages that are made specifically for hating her, she called them, pages dedicated to hating me. She talked about certain pages that she sees come across her feed every single day. And a lot of that fed into that moment where she does reveal that she has been struggling with suicidal ideation and almost wishing that in order to avoid having gotten to this place where she feels that way, that the incident in question ended her life. Hmm. You know, there's been ample criticism of the lack of coverage this case has gotten from major publications. And there's also constant misinformation being trafficked on social media, be it potentially falsified screenshots, tweets making up what's happening in court, and, and false rumors of Tory Lanes being deported to Canada. Like how- tweets coming out before court has even been in session for the day. Like, right, right. Uh, how has that combination? Of lack of coverage and also that misinformation being spread on social media impacted how this trial is being perceived by the public. The public learning about the criminal justice system on social media has good and bad outcomes, right? Like Mm. people who might not follow traditional news media, they have an opportunity to learn about how the criminal justice system works. And overall, I think that's a good thing. But like you said, I think it brings a lot of misinformation into it. Um, Are these people actually trained um, either as journalists or legal professionals, do they understand the things that they're reading and the things that they are, you know, disseminating on the internet? Oftentimes, no. But what I will definitively say about the blogs is a lot of them are feeding a specific agenda. A lot of them are looking for engagement. Talk to me about or describe the kind of posts that you are thinking of when you when you mention engagement in that way. I mean, DJ Academics is a big one. I'm going to say it how it is. The Internet's Hottest Club this week has been live streaming with DJ Academics. And there are people who are in the courtroom with me who, as soon as we leave session, head to wherever they can get good Internet and hop on with academics and answer questions. And, And at a certain point, I'm like, is this about how many people you can get to view your page? Or is this about teaching people about the justice system or updating them on this trial? You tell me. Huh. To stay on the point of, of, of the way this case is being covered, the coverage of this case feels somewhat muted compared to an earlier trial that gained a lot of public attention this year, Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. Why do you think the coverage of this case feels so different? One, like no one cares about Black people. Two, it's close to the holidays. Three, it's a close court, I feel like, because... There's no video or audio recording inside the courtroom. Mm -hmm. A lot of people feel like they don't want to send staff there to traditionally write and report for hours, for weeks. In some ways, they feel similar. A lot of the arguing against Megan specifically feels similar to how people rallied against 
Amber in support of Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. The way that Megan has been made out to be a liar. I don't think anyone really believes Megan is a victim, so they don't care. Black women in particular, I think, are expected to be very perfect types of victims. Hmm. Um, And a lot of that, I think, feeds back into misogynoir, which is a term coined by Moya Bailey, who argues that Black women experience misogyny differently. And that in a lot of cases, when they are being marginalized, it's hard for people to rally around them or see it as legitimate because Black women are supposed to be stereotypically so strong. They're supposed to take so much. Mm. And I think for Megan in particular, since the dawn of her career, we've seen that strength be thrown back against her, right? Like she's a stallion, she's tall, she's thick, and she's Mm. unapologetic about it. So when you see her compared to someone like Tori, oftentimes people are like, Megan must have been the aggressor, right? Mm. Um, Because he's a rather petite person. Yes. So And and like throw that back against her. Megan isn't a perfect victim. And I think she's being held to stand trial for that in a way, right? Like, Hmm. to use her own words, this torture that she feels she's going through in a lot of ways I think is perpetuated by this idea that um, she's been strong throughout this process. She she did go through physical therapy. She did go back to her job. Um, She toured the world this summer. And in a lot of ways, people are like, if you were a victim, you wouldn't be doing that. Is your victimhood legible? Hmm. On the day that Megan testified, there was a, a rally in support of her outside of the courthouse mm-hmm. early in the morning. And there were also Tory supporters gathered there as well. And I interviewed a few supporters from each group. Mm-hmm. And in talking to a lot of the people who were there to show support for Tory, it felt clear that a lot of their main concerns were that Tory deserves the right to a fair trial, that they had suspicions that what was going on inside wasn't necessarily fair to Tory as a black man. Hmm. And I found that interesting. And the allegations feel untruthful to some, or the way that she has been protective over Tory in the past, lying for him is what I'm talking about. That's been thrown back against her. And it's made this switch. Hmm. Um, and Megan talks about this switch in her testimony and how she feels like ever since this incident, things have only gotten better for him and worse for her. And somehow she's the one who's been shot, but she's become the villain and Tori's become the victim. We are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, Gabby and I are getting into more of the impact of social media on court trials and what that means for Black women. We'll be right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, the automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares how Betterment's innovation can help Americans save. The real innovation for Betterment about a decade ago was taking a set of tools that were used by the ultra-wealthy and making them accessible to the average investor. And that includes tax strategies, that includes dollar-cost averaging, that includes taking a long-term view and not getting distracted by market volatility. These are all sort of tricks of the trade. And what Betterment did is they basically said, no matter the amount of money you have, it's always good to be invested. It's always good to start early. It's always good to save. And the power of being consistent in your habits is really the path to long-term wealth. Learn more about automated investing and saving at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. 
In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. This isn't just something being discussed on social media. Speculation and doubt over this shooting incident is happening among Megan's peers in the music industry. People are casting doubt on whether or not she has been shot in the first place, which is the entire basis of this trial in the first place. Like even someone like 50 Cent, 50 Cent compared Megan to Jesse Smollett on Instagram. And, and also even doubt as to whether or not Megan was shot has been showing up in, in some of her peers' music, as with some lyrics from a recent Drake song implying that Megan lied about the fact that, that she was shot, period. Um, yeah. What role does Megan's position as a woman in a male-dominated industry play in the way this situation is characterized within the music industry at large? Can I say something else first? Yeah. Regardless of whether, and I'm talking to the people, I'm talking to the people right now, not you. Regardless of whether or not you think Tory Lanez was the shooter, Megan was shot. I feel like people are not saying this enough. People hmm. are not speaking about Megan like she was a victim of gun violence. People are not speaking about Tory like he's being charged by the DA. Like Megan is not on trial. She's not. The reason I I feel so strongly about this is because in in a lot of ways I do feel like it's holding the trial back from getting to the root of the issue. Um this court is being tried to find out whether or not Lanes was the shooter, mm-hmm. not to determine whether or not Megan was shot. Right. And yet a couple of days in, we found ourselves regressing to this point of, I don't know, did she step on glass? Was she shot? I'm not sure. I mean, we've had the x-rays of the bullets in her feet up on the projector, and people are still like, I don't know if she was shot. So I just want to clear that up. We know she was shot. Right. We're trying to determine who shot her. Right. Period. Now, Megan as a woman... In this position, um, it's difficult. I mean, yeah, she invoked this feeling in her in her testimony a lot, and it was very painful to listen to. She talked about how she feels like the industry is a boys' club, and in coming out against Tory, she basically felt every man in a position of power in this industry turn their back on her. We've also seen, you know, Megan, someone who's had a lot of issues with um, her previous label, 1501. Right. We saw the big boss, Carl Crawford, go out with Tory Lanez earlier this year and post videos of them on social media with the hashtag protect black men. Wow. In a situation like this, being a woman going up against this male-dominated industry, Megan is really fighting an uphill battle. Mm. She's really having to carry a lot. I would say in a lot of ways, Megan is being asked to stand up against something that is so deeply entrenched in this industry there's a lot of irony in that. Like hip hop was born out of a need to speak truth, but in a mm. lot of ways, people who do that are vilified and and further disenfranchised. Um, and it, we see hip hop sort of turning inward on itself in that way. Hmm. I've been thinking a lot this week about Russell Simmons and the women that came forward and accused him of rape and other forms of sexual assault. And we saw this again when Kim Osorio spoke out about the workplace sexual harassment she faced while she was editor-in-chief of The Source magazine. People told her that it would be career suicide to report it. And when she did report it, she was wrongfully terminated from her position. So 
We've seen hip-hop close ranks around abusers repeatedly. And all of that has led us to this moment where we see Megan not really being believed. One of the thoughts that came up for me as we were preparing to talk to you about this um, is how even just that specific Instagram post by 50 Cent, where he's comparing Megan Thee Stallion to Jesse Smollett, who was found to have been lying about being attacked, that plays upon this stereotype of women on some level being deceitful or lying or being people that you shouldn't believe. You know, it, it made me think about the idea that like like people's ability to oppress and marginalize women and even queer people is dependent upon the reiteration of these stereotypes about women and queer people that they're deceitful, that they're lying, that they're immoral. Um, and That they're promiscuous. Right, right, right. And, and, and that that should matter. That's something that I've been feeling lately. Even something as small as a social media post like that is like a reinforcement of that stereotype. Does that ring true for you? A hundred percent. And I think it feeds back in, into this idea of perfect victimhood and also this scary idea that for some people in this country, there's a way in which Black women and Black queer people are almost deserving of violence. Hmm. And the reason I say that is because a lot of the sentiments you've seen on social media mm -hmm. have trickled into the courtroom. I mean, we have listened to endless conversation about Megan's sexual history, her history with alcohol, whether or not she's an aggressive person when she drinks, as if any of those circumstances mean she was more deserving of being shot. Hmm. Um, we, we have not seen similar lines of questioning about Tori's history with alcohol or aggression or violence, his history of domestic assault, none of that has really come into question the way that Megan's sexual partners have. And in a lot of ways, I, I see lines of questioning like that as serving the purpose of making a Black woman less than and making her more deserving of that violence. We should note that Tori chose not to testify, which could have opened him up to these kinds of questions, as well as questions about his alleged assault on August Alsina. But anyway, what you said it, it makes me think about Megan's fans. You know, Megan's fan base is largely women and queer folks. Um, how does that affect the way that she moves through the industry as someone who doesn't have to appeal to the same core base of men as as many? of her male, male peers have to. I think in a lot of ways, and I, I won't say someone like Megan is absolved of the male gaze, but I think in a lot of ways it does free her, like you said, um, free her to speak about the things that are on her mind without fear that people who don't get it will be listening. Hmm. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, there was a rally on the day that Megan testified and a lot of young women and young queer people showed up to support and stand with Megan. You know, their hashtag has been going viral, hashtag we stand with Megan. And when I spoke to a lot of them on the ground that day, a lot of them said that although they like her music and they might feel represented by it, they were there for more than that. They were there to show up for someone that consistently throughout her career has shown what strength looks like. It was very powerful to see. Hmm. <laughs> Pulling out a little bit, um, and going back to how this might reverberate through the entertainment industry, more specifically the music industry. Um, obviously, it's been just over five years since Me Too rippled through Hollywood. But many people have remarked that 
it hasn't quite hit the music industry in the same way. How do you think this situation with Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez intersects with Me Too's impact on the music industry, if at all? Yeah, I mean, will hip hop ever have a Me Too movement? That is a question I think about often. And I think this trial is very powerful evidentiary support for the fact that it might not really be able to. I feel like we are in a cultural moment where Me Too almost is losing traction Hmm. in scary ways. I mean, we could argue Megan is one of the most highly visible, wealthy, powerful Black women. Absolutely. I don't even think you need to argue it. Um, And yet she is not exempt from the marginalization, the vilification, and the mistreatment that comes from coming forward and speaking out against abuse. Women who are survivors might look at this case and see it might not be worth it to come forward. Um, Women who have come forward might reflect on this case and think, I thought me coming forward would make it easier for Black women after me. Gabby, thank you so much for coming and talking with me about this today. This was really important. Thank you for having me. That was Gabby Bilgarelli from NPR's Louder Than a Riot. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McVeigh, Corey Antonio Rose. It was produced and edited by Jessica Mendoza. It was edited by Jessica Placek. Engineering support came from Quasi Lee. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. See you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear. It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast.